0: So starting last Sunday, and for two more Sundays, I'm speaking on this theme of intentionality, living with intentionality versus haphazard living, a haphazard person, someone who just experiences life, and they they just kind of go through life, and there's not a clear line of demarcation or a path to go down. And I said, my thesis is that to live with intentionality out of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and 5, to live with intentionality. We must be people whose minds are constantly renewed to think with the Spirit of Christ, chapter 4, verse 23. We are to learn from Jesus and learn Jesus, chapter 4, verse 20. And as we think with a renewed mind, there are some manifestations in our character. We saw last week one manifestation is we speak the truth to one another because we belong to one another. We, we speak truth into each other's lives. We walk together. Another manifestation is, is that if you must be angry, you don't let anger rule in your spirit. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, because if you do, you will give the devil a foothold or an opportunity. So we're very careful to not let anger rule in our spirit. Thirdly, the scripture says, if if you've been a thief, you no longer steal if you know Jesus. In fact, if you, if you know Christ, you are a productive person, and you work with diligence so that you can share with those who are in need. And the fourth manifestation we saw last week was that our talk will be wholesome, and it will build people up. It'll be a word fitly spoken for those who are in need. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth. And read really the word unwholesome means smells like stinking fish. So we're very careful with our words. We, we build people up. We encourage them. We, we walk beside them. And so this week, the second way to live intentionally out of the book of Ephesians with a 30,000-foot view is to understand your environment. Understand your environment. And then next week, understand the importance of true relationship. So today, understand your environment. Our scripture passage that we'll get to is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Here's the scripture. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so he says in verse fifteen, look carefully. Then, then is a word, is an adverb that points to the preceding argument. And in the preceding argument, Paul says several striking things. He says, he says, verse three, but sexual morality or impurity, or covetousness must not even be named among you. And he's writing to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was a wild place. It was a place that was known for its uh, secularism. There was a temple in the middle of the city uh, committed to a goddess that involved ritual immorality. It was a wild place. It was like uh, an outlandish Las Vegas on steroids. And, and so he says, you know, but, but, but among you you believers this should not even be mentioned among you and, and then he says in verse 5 for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God in other words if, if your lifestyle he says church at Ephesus if your lifestyle is ongoing idolatry and immorality, and loose living without repentance. and You're just known as that type of person. You're not a believer. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And he says, and don't listen to the crowd that says, it's no big deal, because the way we live is a really big deal. Verse 6 says, let, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes, present tense, comes upon those who are sons of disobedience. So there's, you deal with God. Verse 7 says, don't share in their sins. Don't be partakers with their partners with them in their sin. And then he says, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. So, so by your life and by your energy and by your witness, show the grand, glorious goodness of Christ. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, for it is shameful, shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. It's just shameful. And I'm reading this and I'm going... Uh, have mercy upon us, Lord. I'm, I'm studying this passage, putting it together, taking it apart, looking at it, and I'm doing some research, and I, and I go on the internet, and I'm going to try and make this a very PG-13 statement because we have children that are, that are here sometimes. So I'm, I'm looking at the internet, and the internet says, headline, the first senator who is, and he uses the term to describe um, a sexual deviant lifestyle. The first senator who is openly fill-in-the-blank becomes part of the Senate. I, I'm really, I'm, honestly, I, I thought, well, maybe that, that's in Italy, or maybe you have some, if they're a senator in France, I don't know, but no, it was in our country. And I thought, this is an issue that is shameful and should not even be discussed, and yet it's, it's in the headlines. I just shook my head. And, and then I went to the next website, true story, And it talks about a a recently sworn in U.S. Congresswoman who was from the state of Michigan who made a speech at a rally of a group called MoveOn.org. And in the rally, she says, like I told my 13 year old son, we're going to impeach that fill in the blank. And she used a horrible term. Now, I played sports in high school, a little bit in college, and I went in a lot of locker rooms. I never heard this term used, ever, ever. When I was in the third grade, my mother was a den mother for first graders and Cub Scouts. So we got out early, the third grades did, and she was organizing a football game for first graders and Cub Scouts. And so um, I said, mama, I I want to play football. She says, no. You're bigger than these kids. You could hurt them. Go play with the bigger kids. And so in my frustration, I said an expletive under my breath. A third grade expletive. Thinking, Mama didn't hear that. Mamas can hear a lot. And so when I said that, my mom turned and our eyes met and I thought, oh no. And so we got home, and my mom took an old toothbrush and a bar of ivory soap. Open your mouth. Spit. Again. Spit. Third time. I guess in honor of the Trinity, I don't know, but third time. Spit. Now, Now, listen, that was before dental floss. So you have ivory soap between your teeth. It's there for a while, so it's a strong reminder of your sin. If I had used the term this congresswoman used, it was on the front page of newspapers. It had stars. She would have got a hazmat suit and Lysol times ten and sprayed me down. Now here's here's my issue. My issue is, as I read this and I thought about this, and it's in the book of Jeremiah, God, do not let us lose the ability to blush. Don't let us lose the ability to be be saddened in our spirit and, and offended. And Paul says to this church, in the midst of moral putrid living, he says, it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And let me say this. Parents and grandparents, it is on you. It's on you. You guard your children and your grandchildren. And, and you guard the kids that you teach in Sunday school. And you pray for them. And you pray for their purity in a, in a really... So, so I was in New Orleans years ago at a pastor's conference. And we were, it was at the Superdome. And, and so we stayed close to uh, Bourbon Street down that area. I don't tell you, I've ever been in New Orleans and I would get up in the morning before as the sun was just rising. I'm an early morning guy. And I went for a run and I would run down Bourbon street and I would be run down Bourbon street and they're spraying it down. And, and the stench is horrible of all types of fluids and stuff. It's just horrible. And, and, and then one day at lunch, there was a break. So two other pastors and I walked down Bourbon street at noon and, and noon on Bourbon street at that time was scandalous And so I was there and I meet people from New Orleans. They say, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. And they say, oh, Charleston and New Orleans are a lot alike. And I want to say in my, I've said in my spirit, there's nothing, there's nothing we have in common with New Orleans. Nothing. Listen to me. They are pumping Bourbon Street into your home every day through the internet. Every day. And I'm just saying, parents, it is on you. Grandparents, it is on you. Our kids will not float into godliness. Nobody does. And so Friday night, this is a plug. Friday night we're having an hour and a half, two-hour seminar led by two of our younger pastors, Danny Beach and Van Barnhill, about, uh, about how to raise children in the digital age. And it's for parents and grandparents and anybody else that's concerned about the next generation. And the content is outstanding. And we've got to think, I went to a conference last year. Part of the conference was a guy named Tony Reichy who wrote a book entitled Your, Your, How Your Cell Phone Is Changing Your Life. He's kind of a techno expert. And he just laid out fact after fact after fact after fact, It just blew my mind. And he said this, he said, it is, it is absolutely, he's got four or five kids, it's inconceivable that a parent would give someone who's un, in high school an iPhone. They don't need it. And I thought, amen. Let me just say this, it's just um, for free. Parents, if you run with other parents that share your gospel-laden, Jesus-honoring values that flow from the Word of God, then it's, it, it, it's, it, it's so much easier to raise kids together because if they say, I want to do this, and you say, well, no, we're not going to do that, and they look at you as if you are a Luddite, wooden-headed, Neanderthal from Walterboro, you can say... These other people are doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. So let us walk together. And I'm telling you, it is shameful. It is shameful to, to, to even whisper in secret what people brag about openly. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I've got to tell you, I, as an older guy, I fight against, against the dumbing down of my conscience and the blushability. There's a poem I quoted all the time, you've heard it, by a guy named Alexander Pope. And it comes from a poem entitled Essay on Man. And this is what Alexander Pope says. He says this. He says, Vice is a monster of such frightful mien or countenance as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too often we grow accustomed to her face. First we endure, then we pity then we embrace. I go, man, that's, that's exactly what happens. You know, you, 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 you endure it. You're, kind of, you're offended, and then you kind of say, well, maybe it's not so bad. And then you become part of the crowd. And let me tell you something. If you're 35, you don't have to be old. If you can remember 15 years ago, there are things that are being broadcast and talked about and trumpeted because of the sexual revolutionaries that we didn't even whisper about 20 years ago. It's amazing. It is amazing. And there, there, you even read conferences where, quote, evangelicals come together and say, you know, maybe, maybe we've been wrong. Maybe, maybe the LGBTQ movement is, is just fine. There's no, it's no big deal. Listen, that is from the pit of hell. That's wrong. It takes courage and dignity and love and compassion to love people and to stand where the Bible says we should stand. So please hear me, do it together. Do it as a body of Christ. Walk with each other. First we endure, then we pity, and then we embrace. And so in light of that argument, Paul gives us two statements about understanding our environment. he says this, then, in light of this, he says, verse 15, then... Adverbial modifier, then look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Just simple. He says, be very careful. Walk warily. Walk circumspectly. Walk with a clear understanding. Be very careful how you walk, then, not as unwise, but as wise. It's, It's interesting, in the Bible, book of Proverbs, for example, talks about the, 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 the simpleton. The simpleton is somebody that's just kind of naive and experiencing life, but this is what the Proverbs says. First book, first chapter, uh, says, receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity to give prudence or wisdom to the simple. That's me. The simple uh, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Gives you wisdom. And then he says this in chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. For for, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But when whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. What a promise. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure. The simple. We need grace. Chapter 9, verse 4. Whoever is simple, wisdom says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. See, the scripture says, leave your simple ways and live. Jesus says, you should know the truth. The truth shall make you Free. If you continue my word, you're my disciples indeed. You should know the truth. It'll make you free. Leave your simple ways and live. So, so it, it, just talk about, about, about simple people. Walk warily. We just studied the book of Ecclesiastes. And you know, as I go through it, you know, you think about Solomon and how he was going, going for it. And then he married many foreign women. And I mean, 700 for heaven's sake. And how his wives turned him away and he did evil in the sight of God. And how he built altars of sacrifice all over, all over Israel. Including altars where you sacrifice young, young babies. I mean, it's just it's horrible. And, and, and then he writes Ecclesiastes. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking about Solomon's David, his dad, David. And how we're exposed to David's adultery and his murderous intents and his deceit and the fact that david was a lousy dad horrible dad and i'm sitting there going you know it's so interesting that the bible by the power of the holy spirit exposes the underbelly of some of these people and the question is why well, here's the answer in part this is why we know about solomon's failures and david's failures and their sin this is 1 corinthians 10 verse 11 He's talking about the Old Testament people. Now, these things happened to them as an example where they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. That's us. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be, Be careful. If you think you stand, take heed. You're about to fall. Let me tell you one of the most ungodly statements you can ever make. I've got this. I've got this. I can do this. I've been married 38 years, going well. I got this. No, I need grace every day in my marriage. It's going pretty good. I'm getting older. I I got this. No. I can't tell you the number of older men who have blown it. People say to me frequently, very kindly, how are your children doing? I say, well, they're, They're doing well, but you know what? It's 11.43 in the morning. We've got a lot of time left. I need grace. I don't got this. Uh, Years ago, we had the chance to go to Italy, and uh, I read about the place called the Amalfi Coast, the south of Naples, and it it is, the true book said it's a strikingly beautiful place, and it is. And it's these villages built on the side of cliffs that, go down to the heart of the mediterranean sea and it's really pretty and so the 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 books say now there's a road that goes down the amalfi coast and it's you have a sheer drop of a thousand plus feet time after time and the roads are narrow and the buses are big and the people that ride on the local buses on these big buses that's what they do and so we get there and we decide, decide to go to this little village called positando and so we're going to positando and we get on the bus and there's all these Italians on the bus. You know, I love Italians, they're just fun. They laugh and they talk with their hands and they're dark-headed and dark-eyed and they're just pretty good-looking people. And Anyway, so I'm on the bus and the bus takes off. And so I get on the far side. So we're going down the road, here's the Mediterranean Sea. So I get on the far side so I can really look down and see this wild ride and so we're going we're going down the road it's about 30 minute drive of where we're going and i look out the window and i says wow wow five minutes later I'm, I'm looking up at the driver and he's talking with his hand and he's looking at the guys behind him saying doing this and then he's talking with this hand he's looking around like this and and i could have sworn he was doing this at one time and so really about five minutes in the road this is true of course, there's an aisle, two seats here, two seats. I get up and I go to the far left, as far away from the window as I can, so that if he runs off the road, maybe my weight way over here will balance the bus so it won't plunge to my death. And they're just laughing and having a good time, and I want to go up to him and say, to him and say, I didn't know Italian, you may be enjoying this, but there's an American who's scared to death it, it, really, you know, if I'd been driving, you have been there. No, no Some of you have been up in the high mountains, no guardrails. I mean, the roads are narrow. I mean, the, there's a washout here, and, and you're like this. You're like this. But as you drive it more and more and more, you just take it for granted, and you kind of do this, and you're drinking Red Bull or whatever, and you're high-fiving people. That can happen in life. Listen, we are on a high mountain pass, and there are all types of disasters out there. We're one dumb decision away from blowing it. They're hidden IEDs, they're heres. So, so, so Paul is pleading with these people. He says, "Listen, church at Ephesus, live with a sense of carefulness. And he said, and say, well, how do we live with a sense of, 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 of carefulness? And here He answers it in the text. That's what I love about studying the Bible. He says, the way you live with carefulness is this. You make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Next verse. You make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Or you do good while you can knowing evil is all around you. Or you seize the seasons of life because a life of haphazard living can dissipate into nothingness with great ease. This passage does not, and there's not this isn't a bad application. It's not really talking about being making a to-do list or a weekly checklist. Those are all good things. But what he's really saying is as you look at the, the Kairos moment, the season of time, you seize it. Understanding that a, a life that's not lived under the Lordship of Christ can can devolve into haphazard nothingness and even evil. You're, the days are evil. You're, you're surrounded by an enemy who wants to drink you down. And it's easy to be lulled asleep. There's a wonderful book called the Screwtape Letters. And there's a statement here. It's letters from a senior demon to a junior demon. Written by C.S. Lewis. It's a masterful book. It says this. You will say that these are very small sins and doubtless like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember the only thing that matters is the, the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy or God. And he says this. It does not matter how small the sins are provided that their, their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick Indeed. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signpost. It's just gentle, gentle, gentle. It's just saying, I got this, I can do this, it's no big deal. And and, and the other thing I want to say in this passage is, do I understand? I should. The brevity of life. I think we should have an imaginary clock in front of us with hours going by. I I did a calculation that in in, in how many days are in the next 12 years, just for fun, recently. I thought, God, Psalm 90, teach me to number my days. Life is fast. Therefore, I should seize the season of life. More about that later. The second. Adverbial modifier. He says this, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And the question is, 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 how do you know the will of the Lord? Let me mention three steps. Number one, to know the will of the Lord, I must be filled with the Holy Spirit as I study the Bible. John Calvin, who died in 1564, the one of the heads of the Reformation. Let me mention two small quotes by Calvin. He says, he says the next thing necessary is, is what the mind has imbibed and be transferred into the heart. Mind to heart. The word of God is not received in faith where Mary flutters about in the brain, but when it has taken deep root in the heart and has become an invincible bulwark to understand and repel all the assaults of temptation. He says, you know, you, you take the Word and, and you put it into your mind and your heart, but you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we study, we have to cry out, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You know, we're talking about doing things commanded here that go against our grain. And it is the height of falling to think that if we just say it right and package it right and give a good illustration, that the people are going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Holy Spirit has to do it. And then he says this, he says, we, we are all naturally blind, and hence the word cannot penetrate our minds unless the Holy Spirit, that internal teacher by his enlightening power makes an entrance for it. So, so our, our prayer is, come Holy Spirit. So we do these things as we are praying, God, give us the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we do is that we, we ponder the scripture. I mean, you think about it, you ponder it, you think about it, you ponder it. And Proverbs 2 says this. It talks about pondering the Bible. It says, my son, if you receive my instruction and treasure my commands within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He says, if you seek it like silver and search for it, as for hidden treasures. And I, I, you know, I need to, to be a person who, who seeks, who really says, by the Holy Spirit, take this word and make it alive in my heart. So I ponder it. But I ponder it in community. This, this letter was written to the church at Ephesus, a group of people. I need brothers and sisters who will read the Bible with me and talk with me about what I'm reading, and we can pray together and, and really discern and make application. I, I need that. I need people in my life. Every Wednesday, I get together with four pastors, younger pastors, and I, we, we, we spend time sharing, and then I say, okay, here's the text I'm preaching on Sunday, and we read it together, and I said. Give me some of your thoughts. I mean, I've been turning it upside down, taking it apart, looking at the words, putting it together like a, you know, like, a, like, like, like a jigsaw puzzle. And they always tell me two or three things that I haven't thought of and I use the next Lord's Day. And I value their insight. I need the body of Christ speaking to me. So I ponder it, church, in the community of God's people. It's a new year. We have a new members class on Sunday. Join a local church that preaches the Bible, that has an orthodox statement of faith, that is clearly Trinitarian, that believes in salvation by grace alone, through Christ alone, by the cross alone. Jump in and let people speak to you. And you speak to people. That's what we're about. Being a part of a local church is an absolute biblical command. So ponder In community, and then understand the overflow effect. In Matthew 12, Jesus says this to the Pharisees He says, How can you, being evil, speak what is good, you bunch of snakes? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth good, the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. You speak. So you you ponder it, you think about it in community, and then you live it out. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the whole body will be flooded with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be flooded with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's just a simple statement. So so as I take the Word and I live the Word and I I, I think about it and I I live it and I live it in community with other brothers and sisters, then it's an overflow in my life. Now, hear me. A large percentage of what you do is not governed explicitly by the Bible. The Bible does not tell you to live in Arizona or Minnesota, if those are your choices. The Bible doesn't tell you to drive a Toyota or a Chevrolet. The Bible doesn't tell you how big your house should be or where you should live, but there are godly principles in your life. The Bible doesn't tell you whether you should pull for Clemson or Alabama tomorrow night. Um, even though the Bible loves righteousness, so I know who I'm pulling for, but that's beside the point, okay? And uh, so anyway, the Bible—serious—the Bible seriously, the Bible doesn't tell you that. Uh, there's so many, but as you live the Bible and think the Bible and breathe the Bible by the power of the Holy Spirit in community, you know what? You make good decisions. I believe that. In conjunction with God's people through the Word. I I need the Scripture by the Spirit and the community by the Spirit in my life. So application statement. Number one. Understand seasonal opportunities. Understand seasonal opportunities. There are seasons of life. Uh, There are people here who are the parents of children under the age of five. And we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here and you look somewhat presentable because it's hard and a lot of parents with young children, listen, love your kids. And don't worry about writing concertos in the great American novel. Just love your kids. Love them. Enjoy them. Seize this time as a kairos opportunity from the Lord. Just Enjoy it. There are others here who are approaching retirement years, and I say seize the moment. We don't retire and play shuffleboard and bridge and golf only. We retire to the glory of God. We we retire to make an impact for Christ on the coming generations. We retire to free ourselves up to really—there's to really. a man who's retired in our church and is involved in a prolific prison ministry that touches hundreds of inmates every week. every, Every week. And he's got a band of people he works with. It's amazing. Let me tell you a couple of seasons I'm, I'm excited about. I, one one is a brief season, but I, I get to uh, go to North Africa in a couple of weeks and teach 60 pastors for, for, a, for a week and just from, from five different countries. And I'm excited about that. It's the season that I have now. But, but let me tell you the season. I am excited about being a granddad. I, I'm excited. I, I believe that granddads and grandmoms can speak into the lives of their kids in such an incredible way. And so, so I want to stay in decent shape. My k- grandkids are young. I, if I want to take them camping and hiking and run after, the, I've got to stay in decent shape. I'm excited about being a granddad. I, I'm loving it. and So I can influence those grandkids and their contemporaries for Christ. What season are you in now? What is your seasonal opportunity? Because I think God gives us these seasonal opportunities. Um. So, so, so live with, without, I was just praying this with God, give us expectations. I mean, we always talk about New Year's resolutions. I was in a class the other day or with a group of people and somebody said, what is your New Year's resolution in the area of physical fitness? I didn't say that loud, but I was too embarrassed to, but I'll share it, I'll share it with you. By next Christmas, I'm going to look like this guy. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. I'm, I've got a way to go, <laughs> but there's always hope. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Really, <laughs> in the last crowd, not many people laughed, and I thought, good grief, are you guys dead? Do you really think that's going to happen? My wife is very hopeful, I'll tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> So anyway, so grab the opportunities. Number two, um, we understand that haphazard living that's not focused on God's principles can dissipate into nothingness or evil. Listen, it's just, it's just our hearts can unravel. Therefore, chapter 6, Paul says, put on daily the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the, the schemes of the devil. So... so So understand that there is a haphazardness to life that can envelop us. Thirdly, do you understand the brevity of life? Life is fast. And and fourthly, understand the little paradigm of ponder the Word in community and make application. Ponder by the power of the Spirit, live in community by the Holy Spirit, and make a- a- application as you live for the Lord. Well, may God give us the ability to live with intentionality. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we just uh, come before you today, and uh, as a New Year dawns, by your grace and for your glory, we expect you to work in our lives. We expect you to take away uh, lethargy and replace it with zeal. We expect you to make our homes places of joy and laughter and tears instead of silent, non-communicative standoffs. We expect you, Lord, to build the coming generations by the name of Jesus to live valiant courageous, broken, loving lives. We expect you to use PCA and our children's ministries and our middle school and high school and campus outreach ministries to fashion the coming generations. We expect you to let those who are retiring among us to use these years as a means of seizing opportunities that they have We expect you, Holy Spirit, not to let us just exist, but to go forward in faith. So, God, we commit our way to you. We pray that we would walk deeper and further into the light. And that you, Lord Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would take the Scripture and shape our character. So, bless us, we pray. Let us go to the neighborhoods and the nations with the good news of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.